Hello and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm Kristen Davis from Dairy Australia. In this episode, we share a recent dairy innovation webinar covering the significant improvements in animal genetics in Australia over the last 40 years. Hear from Datagene CEO Matt Schaefer and Dairy Taz Extension team lead Liz Mann as they discuss the industry's progress, changes and turning points in genomics and the technology advancements enabling gains in herd genetics, as well as looking ahead to some of the new areas of focus ensuring Australia has healthy, profitable and sustainable dairy herds into the future. Hello everyone, my name is Liz Mann, I'm the Project Coordinator from Asia Innovation. We are joined by Data Gene's Chief Executive Officer, Dr Matt Schaefer. Matt has been working in agriculture within, in Australia for 20 plus years. You will notice he does have a bit of an accent, so he has got a history elsewhere. Um, so Matt's um, currently working as the CEO of Data Gene, and we're heading straight to the top for answers around what's been happening within herd genetics for the past 40 years. So thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thanks, Liz. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, in- inviting me. All right. Now, neither of us are going to admit to which side we're on here, but depending on your age, 40 years ago is either a short time or a long time ago. Um, You've spent a bit of time in the last little bit looking back, and this webinar's probably come out of your presentation to Herd 23, um, where you talked about what happened. As you've looked back and considered the changes that have occurred in that time, um, which I know you weren't here for all of it, what has stood out as one of the biggest changes that has occurred in your mind? I might, I might take the liberty of saying there's probably two. Uh, you can have two. Uh, one is quite simply just technology. You know, if if, if you think back to 1983, um, uh, which I am old enough to well remember that and the songs that were about at that time, um, uh, including. Total eclipse of the heart. Um, but in any case, if, if we think about the technology, we have so far advanced. Early in those years, it would take us three months to run genetic evaluation. We now do it in three days. Early on, we did one one run a year um, and then moved to three and, and then, then more. Now we do 43 runs a year. Um, and so the scale of that is, is massive. We used to run it on um, the Department of Treasury computers and then the computers that ran the traffic light system in Melbourne. We now have our own systems that run all of this. So that technology side has been quite important. Um, but on the actual genetic side, I think the biggest change has been a shift from looking purely at one group of traits. Uh, we started with production, um, yield, uh, fat and protein, and we've now moved to 45 plus traits um, and indices that balance traits. So we've moved away from chasing a single um, single thing and um, move to this multi-trait uh, approach where I think we do a much better job of understanding the interconnectedness of of um, of our animals and how they interact with the environment and how that all hangs together. So for a long time, we focused on production and that was the only trait we were chasing. Um, we, we put type in as well. Um, but where, where we ended up was production is in, is, um, in opposition to fertility. And so we've had a situation in, in particular in the, in the Holstein breed where the fertility suffered for quite a few years as we chased production. Um, but we've turned that around and that was through a lot of hard work, um, 
by the entire industry focusing on fertility as a, as an issue, and you know, pleased to say that we're starting to see that come back and starting to see fertility improve. Um, certainly at a genetic level, but also um, on farms, we're starting to see some improvement there. So that's it, it goes to show when we set our minds to it how we can actually make make improvements in, in genetics. And that that is quite interesting that shift from single focus because it was such a thing and I did start 20 years ago in the industry and fertility was such a worry and such a concern. How long has it taken to swing that back the other way? Like how long have we been changed from that single focus to that more balanced approach? Uh, Well, we started in the early 2000s, so we're talking 20 years. Um, genetics is is a long game. It's not something that you expect to um, to see a change in the next year. It's something that you don't really see a change in your herd until the next generation come into the into the dairy. So it is a long game, um, but you can make progress, and when we can see that progress. Um, but I think that's the important thing about genetics. It's long term, but it also compounds. So you just continually get better, um, which is the important thing to to keep in mind as well. You said genetically we're starting to see that turnaround in, in um, fertility. We are starting to see that on farm, are we? Yeah, so the latest work um, that John Morton has done is starting to show that happening at a farm level as well. Um, there, there's a, generally a lag between the genetic indication and then the, the on-farm um, indications, but that's coming through. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, it's, and, it's a, and I'll just say, given that yeah. this is a, um, a, a dairy bio type yeah. focus, a lot of that came about uh, because of some of the fantastic science coming out of um, not only dairy bio, but before that, the dairy futures CRC around genetics, or sorry, around fertility. And that's been quite an important component of being able to, to chase that and then um, take that into the, into, the, into the farmer, out to the farmers through the service providers, the bull companies. And so it's just been quite a, uh, a massive uh, push from everyone, I think. And it's probably good you've mentioned there, Dairy Bio. What is the connection then between data gene and, and Dairy Bio? Because that is part of what we are about to explore here is that connection. What is it? So um, we have a very, very close connection with Dairy Bio. We work with the scientists there um, on a daily basis. And if I think about, if I describe it in, in, in a few words, Dairy Bio performs a core research. We then work to translate that research into the paddock and bring that out to farmers and service providers. So um, the work that Dairy Bio does um, around, say, improving the fertility breeding value, um, that gets implemented by data gene, and then we work to bring that out to the to the paddock. Um, so we work across the board with them from inception of projects through to delivery. So we have got a very close connect with them. And that's been the case for some time now, and you know I think it's been quite successful and been a real um, strong point for the Australian industry that's recognised globally as we work so well together with our research base. That's that's great. And one of the things we are talking about here is the improvement in genetic gain, which has occurred because of that connection. How do we compare when we look at the genetic gain that's happening within the Australian dairy herd? Is it good? Is it bad? Are we leaping ahead or are we lagging a bit behind? Where do we fit? 
so if I and at the herd conference and a few other times, I, I tend to use a, a slide that shows genetic graph and uh, genetic progress. And um, through the say the 1980s and 90s, there's a slow improvement. Um, there's a tremendous jump in genetic gain around the introduction of genomic technology, um, and we can talk a bit more about that uh, as you like. Um, and in the last 10 years, I would say we've really started to accelerate the rate of genetic gain. And there was recently a study done internationally comparing, I forget how many countries, eight or nine of the bigger dairy countries around the world. And in the period 2000, 2005, we were about half of the average rate of genetic gain internationally. In the last um, five years, we are now above the average rate. So we've really increased our rate of genetic gain, which has been, um, as I said earlier, due to the work that the whole industry does together. So... What do you reckon is the one key driver of us being able to, and I have seen the graph, it sort of goes and then ramps. Um, what What is that driver? Like what is the turning point for where we start to really take off? The introduction of genomics is really the turning point for that. Um, and again, that came from a pre- predecessor of, of dairy bio. Um, there are lots of steps along the journey and, and um we focus a lot on making sure that the technology gets used and how it gets taken up and how we can improve it. Uh, but the the primary turning point was introduction of genomics. That's yeah, that's amazing. And so going forward, um, what's going to be driving our in continued improvement in genetic game? Well, I think there's a range of things. Um, we're always looking to improve what we currently do. Fertility is still an issue for us, so we're still working on that. Um, I think the the big area that's coming or and, and is here really is around sustainability. And I use that word in a broad sense. Um, uh, typically, we think of sustainability as a uh, in, in the dairy industry potentially as a as a methane question, which it large to a large degree is. But I mean that more broadly, and I mean that around health survival. Um, how how many times you treat your cow with various drugs, et cetera. So all of that, I think, is part of sustainability as well as the ability of the farm to make a profit and stay in business, which is, uh, if that doesn't work, none, none of it matters. So exactly. um, it's I mean when I say sustainability in that more um, wholesome context. And for me, the, the the big trait coming is is methane, a real breeding value to, to um, based on methane uh, work. We introduced about 12 months ago a sustainability index, which will help farmers to breed cows that um, have reduced methane intensity. Uh, and that's very important. Um, we will try to improve this index over the, over the next few years by getting a, a, an actual methane breeding value as well and adding in other things. But um, the first step was really getting an index that farmers could use that will um, enable them to reduce for reduced, sorry, enable them to breed for reduced methane intensity. So you're talking there about um, breeding values and indexes. What's the difference? Just so good, good question. And 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 pull me up on this. I sort of inhabit this world, so I get lost in 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 all the acronyms and everything else. So please pull me up. Um, so. And again, I'm not a scientist, and I play one poorly on television. But um, my view is an, uh, a trait, a breeding value, is a single thing. So it's milk, or it's protein, or it's fat, um, or it's fertility. 
where an index is a combination of uh, multiple traits that tries to balance out how that all interacts and and um, tries to make sure that we don't end up where we were in, in the past by focusing on a trait and having all the negative consequences of that. We know a lot more about the negative consequences now. So within an index environment, we try to protect against some of those negative um, impacts. So that's really the difference in my view between an index and a, and a breeding value. An index is is more balanced. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't then say, okay, well, out of that index, I want to breed a, a more fertile cow. You can absolutely do that. Um, but it is also a better way of making sure we don't inadvertently create problems. So when it comes to developing those breeding values, what is going on in the background? What's happening um, with the researchers? Um, how are they then bringing the information to you at DataGene? What happens? Well, that's a good, a good question. And um, I could probably rabbit on for quite some time about it because um, that's a, the... <laughs> <laughs> the area we focus on, but if I think about some of the main steps that that um, are of interest to people, we, we, it starts with data, and most of that data comes directly from farmers. So the the farmers work and they collect data on their farms. We then pull that together. The researchers use that data to research a new trait. So, for instance, um, heat tolerance that. Um, came out of, of out of dairy bio a few years ago that was based on data that farmers had collected on on their farms um, and then the researchers took that data and married it with other pieces of, of information such as weather and um, and some observations down at Ellen Bank and created a breeding value out of that um, and then we take that implement it into our systems where then we enable any cow in Australia to be tested for that so you can get a breeding value for any cow or any bull that's pretty cool. But that's in a, in a very short way. There's lots of stuff in there, but um, that's my 10-second yeah. view. <laughs> yeah, we only have you know certain amount of time. Um, so with those breeding values, that data, how do you know it's reliable? How do you know you're getting good data in? How do you know the breeding value you're coming out with is a reliable one? Sure. Great question. Um, and there are a couple of things to it. One, um, we continually check our breeding values and we go back in time and say, if we had made it made a, a breeding value four years ago, how would the descendants of those animals perform today based on our knowledge? Um, and so we continually check that that's still working. Um, we also go through uh, tests with interval, which look at very similar things to just to make sure we're as accurate as we can be. More broadly, um, you asked a question about how do we know the data is accurate? We work very closely with a fantastic group of farmers that we call Jinfo. And again, that came out of predecessors of, of Dairy Bio. Um, and that group of farmers are fantastic data collectors. And we work quite closely with them to make sure we get a good stream of really high quality data coming in so that that's what we use for core research. And that's what the, the science team uses as well. We also work with them to chase different um, phenotypes that may not be so by phenotypes <laughs> I mean observations of a cow so if a phenotype for instance could be how tall the cow is or how much milk she produces so it's an observation about that cow um, but phenotype is shorter than observations of that cow yes <laughs> <laughs> a lot shorter <laughs> a lot shorter so we work with those farmers um, to, to get very specific things that the the team at dairy bio want to know so for instance that that group 
Jinfo farmers. Um, we worked with them to get blood samples and um, milk recording from them when we started working with mid-infrared technology and worked very closely with the group. Um, and that was, a, a, again, a, a big industry effort to enable us to marry up all the different things we already know about a cow with what was happening within her blood and what was happening um, within the milk. And that was really a, a fantastic project. And that's now led to the introduction of what we call the mere conception report. And um, that enables farmers uh, from a single herd test to be able to predict uh, whether a cow will become pregnant through the first insemination or not. And it uses a, a whole range of factors. And um, so I think that's been a really good indication of how we work together with the data and the science and then implementation um, to make that come to fruition over over a few years. None of this happens overnight, unfortunately. Um, so it's it does take some time, but I think that's been a good effort on on the industry's behalf. You've mentioned Infoherd, and I think I just want to delve down there just a little sure. bit. How many herds are we talking about here? So we currently have about 160, give or take. We started out earlier on with less than 100, and we've expanded over the years. Um, and that's probably about where we want to sit, about 60,000 cows, give or take. And um, those farms come from around Australia, so every dairy area is uh, represented. Um, we have a variety of breeds, um, reflective of the split within the industry. And um, that was a recent addition. We started out focusing on on Holstein and then moved into Jerseys and Reds and Ayrshires and Guernseys. And um, so we were just trying to uh, expand that um, and work closely with those farmers. Yeah. How do you go finding the the smaller, like your Reds and your Guernseys? Brown Swiss? Got any Brown Swiss in there? Uh, yes, because there are lots of, I shouldn't say lots, there, there are farms with multiple breeds. Um, and, and from our point of view, we want to enable farmers to work with whatever cows they want to work with and give them the best information we can. Um, so we work very closely with the breed societies and, and through work that, that Dairy Bio has done over the last few years, we introduced uh, genomic breeding values for the Aussie, Aussie red breed as well as Ayrshire's and Illawarra's. So again, that was a long-term project working with um, the farmers themselves, the scientists, and and data gene to come up with these breeding values, and um, really pleased to say we're uh, we'll be moving to uh, weekly releases of those um, in the not too distant future. So uh, it's been a challenge because they're smaller breeds, so we had to do some fancy footwork to find methodology that helped. Um, and the the team at Dairy Bar was fantastic to work with, as well as our own science team to to make that happen. So that's been um, that was a, a a good move, and the breed societies have worked with us side by side to make sure we can um, offer this to their to the members. So when we're looking at our breeding values, um, they've obviously changed over time. Um, you've mentioned the sustainability index and the methane um, breeding value. Any other breeding values that? might be coming down the pipeline or are being researched at the minute that may influence going forward? Sure. And I mentioned when I said sustainability, and I was quite broad about that. So I think within that space, um, there are a couple and, and people like Dr. Jenny Price, Professor Jenny Price, I should I should say, um, would be better to talk to about the specifics of those. But from, from my knowledge, um, what we're really trying to focus on is, is around um, resilience, longevity, um, 
calf vitality, for instance. So there's a, a great project on the on the run at the moment, and um, some really good work coming out of that. And again, that calf vitality project is a great example of how we work with farmers directly to get the information the scientists need to then help. Um, so I think that will come in the next probably 12 to 24 months. Um, and transition cow work is is important. How does a cow transition from dry to calving and into dairy? Um, and general health resilience is, is probably where the, the big ticket items, I would say. With, um, with things like uh, particularly a transition cow, but but even a little bit to do with calf vitality, it doesn't management have uh, um, a role to play there? Like how much does the genes and the genetics affect the outcome compared to management in those cases? Great question, Liz. Um, and it varies by trait. So some traits have a higher component of genetics and some traits have a lower. Um, and I won't go into the scientific detail because I'll probably muck it up and confuse myself. Um, but it does depend. But what genetics does when we look at it, what the methodology that we use does is it says, well, we only compare cows within a herd, within a year and within a season. So we're only ever comparing those cows together to come up with the breeding values. So it, that holds that management constant from that point of view. You're not necessarily comparing the performance of one cow in this herd with a cow performance in the other to come up with the breeding values. Okay, right. So essentially what you're doing is attempting to just isolate what is the genetic, genetic component influence on that trait, yeah, rather than management. Yeah. And Does management that... plays a massive part in something, yeah. for instance, like fertility we were talking about earlier. You know, it, it's mainly management. Um, but that's not to say we can't make, and we have made, genetic progress on that. But they go hand in hand. Genetics is never the only answer. It's always part of an answer. Yeah. Do, does the research take into account the management um, at all when it's looking at? Um, and again, I think I would preface my response by saying I'm not a geneticist. Um and Jenny would answer this differently. Hurt would answer this differently. Tui would answer it differently. The way I would answer is, that we, we, yes, we do. We, we try to take that into account. We, we work and try to separate the two. Um, we acknowledge that they're, we call them heritabilities and whether they're extremely heritable or not. Um, and we do a good job, as does all the other, all, as do all the other genetic valuation units around the world, world of, of trying to deliver as reliable breeding values as we can. And that's been a long-term journey to do that. Um, and again, I'll hook it back to Jinfo um, to say that we've managed to double the reliability effectively of cow um, breeding values by using Jinfo. And that's for saying that you've doubled the um, reliability using that herd. Well, yeah, the research is using the data from that herd. Dairy beef, um, I think I've seen sustainability trade. Yep. Yeah, I've seen somewhere that there's something happening. What's going on? Because it's starting to become, you know, a focus more within our industry. Yeah, absolutely, and I, and I would agree with that. And I think it's coming into focus for a, a, a range of reasons. One is um, the uptake of sex semen, and the, therefore the production of more heifers, and then you've got. You probably potentially have more heifers than you need, so um, that's one. And the focus on on the uh, 
uh, non-dairy uh, replacement animals that come on and what we do with those. So I think that's all tied together. Globally, this is an issue. It's not just an Australian issue. This is true everywhere. So globally, there's been a focus on, well, how do we um, make sure that when we use beef on dairy, that A, it does what we want it to do in terms of calving ease, because that's a big trait from a from a dairy farmer point of view, it, easy calving, um, but also that we produce an animal that at the other end of the supply chain, at the at the um, at the uh, beef end, actually meets customer expectations as well. So there's a lot of work being done, and and we're doing some here. We've just finished um, a project with Joe Newton. We uh, she did a, a fantastic job of looking at what's happening around the world. So that might be something we can we can talk about in the future. Um, but there will be more emphasis on this to make sure that we can. Provide some uh, some help to farmers as they look to use beef semen. So, will the focus be from the beef side or the dairy side when you start to get into that index? Or can't you answer that question at this point, Matt? Um, well, we know a lot about the the dairy side. Um, at this stage, we probably don't know a lot about the beef side. So the beef industry does a, a lot of fantastic work on the genetic space as well, and it's the interaction of those two that we're looking at at the moment. So it's it's a combination of the beef genetics on top of the dairy genetics. Yeah, and so will there will you be working with the beef industry to to get this up and running? Yeah, I think that's going to be an important focus for the next few years. Yeah, data gene and dairy bio. Um, are all a collaborative effort. How does all that work with service providers and all that sort of stuff? How does that collaboration work? With a lot of hard work. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, I, and I have to say, I think we've got an amazing herd improvement industry uh, in, in Australia because it takes all players in, in, in this to make it work. So it takes the science to work. It takes us to implement it. That works. It takes the service providers who go on farm and talk about it. It takes the RDPs who then talk to the farmers as well to make sure it's all online. And it takes farmers actually making making decisions using the tools to work. So um, we spend a lot of time talking to all of those groups to make sure that we meet expectations of what they want us to do, what areas they're concerned about. Um, and, and how do we improve what we offer them? And I think that's the key is that we have open conversation with them on an ongoing basis. And, you know, everybody talks about collaboration, but it's hard work and yeah. and it should be. But I think the, the, the payoff is quite, quite dramatic. And uh, I think that's the interesting thing is that we are, as an industry, quite willing to be collaborative. Um, and I suppose going forward, it, that collaboration has shaped what um, Dairy Bio looks like currently and then what you are getting and what you are putting out at Data Gene, um, making it as relevant as we can um, to farmers, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And and we're about, Data Gene is about to uh, embark on a strategic planning and thinking about where the next five years are going and you know that'll include discussions with farmers and industry and service providers and and members of data gene etc because i think it's important to take all of that into account and try to come up with something that meets as many needs as we can um because we all we're all in the same boat and yeah. particularly around the sustainability issue i think we're really all in the same boat 
Yeah, and sustainability will be one going forward that is going to be tricky because, you know, it's not an easy genomic fix, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, it, that will be quite interesting. Yeah, and and you're right, the long, long-term genetics plays a slow, I say that with inverted commas, because... Yeah, it's taken us 20 years to fix fertility. It's going to take long, a long time to improve methane and, you know, all those other traits that have, a, you know, a lot of management around them as well. Agreed. And, and like I said earlier, I think genetics is never the answer. It's always part of an answer. Um, yeah. And while it may be slow, I think the, the important thing to remember is that it is cumulative. So you just keep building on it. Um, and the other thing is that it you do this every year. You make a decision as a farmer every year what what genetics you're going to use, and you might as well use stuff that makes it better over the over the journey. So it's just about making a slightly different decision, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How does the industry improve data accessibility and synchronicity? Um, gosh, between different herd health recording systems to improve opportunities for accurate benchmarking and reporting through data vat or dairy data gene? So that's a big topic. Um, and I'll, I'll try to answer it uh, in potentially a couple of different ways. Um, one is I think that one of the big areas of focus for data gene over the next few years is how do we improve the data connected and connectivity between the different um, groups, not just for the genetics of it. In my view, genetics is a byproduct of data. Um, it should be able to help farmers. So what we're focusing on at the moment is what what are we hearing from farmers? And what we hear from farmers is that, now don't make me enter things twice. We want to enter it once and have it move between systems. So we're trying to work with um, the big international equipment manufacturers like DeLaval and, and Gia, et cetera, and say, well, how do we move data more efficiently? Um, and that is is part of the answer. Another part of the answer is how do we work with local um, software manufacturers like Easy Dairy um, or equipment manufacturers like Gentech? How do we start to move that data around? Um, and those are big, sticky questions. And they're questions that globally are, are relevant and active. So unfortunately, it's, there's no silver bullet in there that we can say, well, tomorrow we're going to turn everything on and it'll be perfect. Um, but it is definitely a focus for us at the moment to say, well, how do we start making better progress on it? Because it's my my one regret to CEO of DataGene that we haven't made more progress. Um, so I think that's where you, uh, a fantastic question. Um, and we just need to keep chipping away at it. And um, you know that, that saying, how do you get an elephant one, one bite at a time, we, we need the first bites. Uh, that synchronizing of data, entering data once, that solving that issue, I feel would make farmers feel an awful lot better about the world because it's not it's not just within the the herd recording genetic space, it's everywhere. You know, you're entering data twice um, or you know it's entered over here, but to get it from here to here, yeah, that's a little... I, I, I would agree and that's what we hear. Um you know, and, and we need to look and say, okay, well, we can't fix everything overnight. Where, where do we focus? What are we looking at? Um, and I think one thing we, we can't lose sight of, and this is where I think, again, Dairy Bio comes back into it. Um, if we start to put together different data sources that historically we haven't been able to put together, what can we do with that to give farmers better decision-making tools? And that's the real promise of this, I think, in the long term. 
So you've got the management purpose of of making farmers' lives easier because they don't have to enter data multiple times, et cetera. But what we should be able to do is to turn that into meaningful insights back to them to help them improve decisions. Yeah. And both those things, I think, are equally important. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, good luck with that. <laughs> Thank you. I've been working at it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I feel like it'll be... What was that? What were you saying before? It takes a long time to, you know... <laughs> Um, okay, so then how do you effectively use the profit index? Do you make, for example, an extra $200 per year if you have a $200 profit index? Yeah. So it, my view of these things is that an index is a decision-making tool. So um, we would always say choose a good bull um, and look at um, – where it fits and make the decisions based on what your breeding goals are, what you want to focus on. Is it fertility, for instance? Is it protein, for instance? Is it fat? Um, and and choose from that bull list. Um, the the dollar values are, are profit figures within the balanced performance index, which is an economic index, um, so that the, um, the dollar value does relate to a dollar value directly. Um, but the way you use it is really about just picking bulls that are higher up the tree than at at the bottom, but within that range, there's a bull for every for everybody. I would say, um, and just pick one from the from the good bulls list. Yeah. Um. Yes, but um, a bull for everyone. I love that line. Bull for everyone. <laughs> That's our job is to make enable farmers to make decisions. So, you know, yeah. we we can help that. We can't. We don't want to dictate at all. No. Well, and that's true. Like not. We're all different. We all have different farming systems. So one bull that suits one farm is not going to suit the other. So we can't, you can't dictate that bull X is the one that everyone should use because that also then gets us into a whole other world of genetic problems. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, We just want to be able to find the best bulls from around the world to make farmers in Australia able to make the decisions they need. Yeah. That's sort of what we're after. Yeah. Yeah. What data have you collected to make the decision that there is a need for a sustainability index? That's a really good question. It is a good question. And there's a couple different, again, a couple different components to it. One is we were asked by farmers, how do, how do we start to, um, to make a difference? Um, so that's, that's a data point. We we're being asked, asked by industry about it as well. What's happening with this? Globally, there is a a push, um, and, and I would say it's the only game in town at an international level, is trying to be able to demonstrate that we are contributing to um, reducing methane effects um, and all the other associated uh, work around there. In terms of specific data, I think the, the, the big ticket item was uh, methane collection down at Ellenbank. So there was, I uh, can't remember the exact figure, between four and 500 cows, I think, that were put through the um, the system down at Ellenbank and actual methane was measured. And that that enabled us to use um, those figures to then produce a uh, an index that helped reduce that intensity. So in other words, you um, produce less methane for the same amount of, of production. So we use that as the, as the key. This is the bit, and I find this quite fascinating. You think a cow's a cow, right? And we've put a lot of time into breeding these cows. 
their methane emission is very different between each cow, isn't it? Like we're not talking that, you know, every cow will emit I don't know, so many, how do they measure it, kilograms or, you know, whatever of methane. Each cow is different. And that's, that's driven by genetics, is it? So like or like ev- even by management gut bacteria like everything it's both all three if you include <laughs> gut bacteria um, so what what we can help affect is the genetic side of that to say we know genetically that there is an impact and and certain um, genetics mean that they the cows produce less methane per um, um, uh, unit of uh, of milk. Um, we uh, and this is again i come back to my comment earlier genetics is never the answer it's always part of the answer so i think there's a range of things that that farmers will consider around how do we reduce our footprint you know whether that's genetics because i think that's long term and cumulative so that's an important component of that but there there may be management tools that they can use and a whole range of things we we can't as geneticists actually control all those um we focus on the genetic side but it's important that we look at it as a toolbox and what what's a toolbox that farmers can use to to make decisions they want to make um that's because the beef industry i think i was read or i saw the headline somewhere the other day that the beef industry have actually managed to reduce their um carbon footprint they had i think they've got the target of zero but they have managed to significantly reduce it um so we we can do it we can get there and the dairy industry, by breeding um, the way we have, we've we've also reduced methane intensity quite significantly already. Um, so I think absolutely we can do it. Um, we just have to keep at it. Yeah, won't happen overnight, isn't that no. an old shampoo ad? Um, <laughs> um, so showing our age, Liz. Is <laughs> feed conversion efficiency linked to their meat? methane production do you know the answer to that one Matt um yes and yes <laughs> good so look a lot of these uh traits are not independent they're they're they are correlated they they move in in certain ways some of them are positively correlated so for instance um the stature of a cow is linked positively to their production they're also correlated negatively so for instance fertility is negatively correlated with uh, fertility. So if your production goes up, you're generally speaking, your fertility goes down. So the beauty of the science and the methodology is it takes all of that into account when we do the indices. And and so feed conversion efficiency is a component of of, of methane. It's linked to it. It's a correlated trait, um, but it's not the only thing. So I think, again, I want us to be really careful that we don't focus only on methane or only on feed conversion efficiency, because I think it's all quite importantly that we understand how they how they interact together. What happens to dairy bio after twenty twenty six, Matt? Oh, you gonna chuck that one to me, are you, Liz? Yeah, great. Yep, I am. Right, <laughs> so I can't answer that one. <laughs> Not even gonna pretend that I can. <laughs> the Matt Fitz Schaefer View of the World says that um, we need to continue this long term investment in in an important area for the dairy industry. Um, and I've said a couple of times, and you've mentioned. These are long-term, large-scale projects, um, and so we need to make sure that we uh, have some continuation so we can continue to deliver products that allow farmers to breed the cows for the future. So what that looks like, I, I don't know, um, 
but I think we need to work together to make sure we continue to do what we uh, we set out to do, which is to breed better cows. Yeah, and I think um, we have managed to improve greatly in the last forty years. Like we're sort of we, you and I, in our conversation, we've wandered all over the place today. Um, but I suppose the main thing is that sound research has helped our dairy herd to improve greatly in the last 40 years. And I can't believe it was 1983, that is 40 years ago. That's just terrifying. Um, and, and that improvement has seen us get to where we are today. And it's so important that we continue to improve. Uh, we can't just go, yep, done 40 years, great. I'm going to sit back and do nothing. Absolutely agree, and and I think it's that that continual focus and the continual renewal um, mm. that it will enable this to continue in the future and and keep breeding better and better cows. We are, we're always learning, we're always finding new things, um, and we we really want to make sure that as a as an industry we can uh, help make our farmers uh, uh, make easier decisions and better ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we might wrap it up at that, Matt. It has been fantastic chatting with you, and I really do appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me, Liz. To find out more about how Dairy Australia is supporting farmers with effective practices in animal genetics and breeding, visit dairyaustralia.com.au forward slash animals forward slash genetics. We have placed this and other useful links in the episode notes. We hope that you have enjoyed listening to this episode of Dairy Pod. If you have any questions or ideas for future episodes, you can get in contact with us by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thank you and bye for now.